stress, anxiety, and depression are skyrocketing among children and teens. And Cook Children's Healthcare System is on a mission to bring these topics into the light. I'm Winnie King. And I'm Dr. Kristen Perch. If you have kiddos in the room, now is the time to put on those headphones. Some of the topics we'll be discussing will not be suited for young ears. This is Raising Joy. Hey, hello, hello to everybody who's listening to Raising Joy. This is Winnie King um, from Cook Children's, and I'm joined with my co-host. Kristen Perch, also from Cook Children's. Yeah, yeah. We're here to talk about all things joyful. (laughs) (laughs) Not really, but okay, so you did an article, uh, an op-ed in the Dallas Morning News. I did. Yeah, that was good. And then you were on Fox 4, too. I did. Yeah, I had a, it was uh, fun talking to people. And I think that um, there's so much that our community needs to know and parents need to know. So anytime anyone says, hey, will you communicate that with our community? I'm all for it because I just think we have to teach parents and tell them what's going on. Because the kids don't come with a manual. I wish they did. <laughs> I really wish they so did. So talk about the article, the, the op-ed, and, and what were you talking about? Yeah. So the CDC released a report. Um, every two years, they survey all high school students, private school, public school, um, just about uh, – it's the youth uh, behavioral survey that they do. And um, the the parts of – the survey that I pulled out for the article were mainly about mental health, suicidality, mm-hmm. um, which was all really very alarming. But also um, there was tons of things that I didn't have room to get to. Right. Like um, the good news was is that fewer kids were engaged in sexual activity. Ooh. So like first time sexual activity ever, being currently sexually active, those things had gone down. Wow. Um, and then but the but also there were real concerns about substance abuse. Mm, yeah. Um and they said that uh, 30% of high school girls uh, were currently drinking alcohol, like within the last 30 days, um, and 20% were currently using marijuana. Mm. And so um, the, the statistics seem to take in terms of like substance abuse, mental health, um, all of the things, all of the markers for a stressed out kid yeah. are worse yeah. in children, minority students, and members of the LGBTQ community. Of so. Um, yeah, we got to figure out how to help them. I don't know. Jeez, it's it's an ocean. It's like boiling the ocean. It really is. That's a good analogy. It feels like that. Yeah, yeah. Jeez. But, but anyway. Yeah, any, anyway. <laughs> so today we're joined. We have a, a great guest. We do. Somebody you know? Uh, yes. Um, <laughs> Dr. Sam McCage is a psychologist um, and a friend um, who I collaborate with very very, very, very often weekly. Um, and he's also our manager for behavioral health at Cook Children's. And I'm very excited that he is going to talk to us about raising teenagers, raising teenagers. I'm like, With I'm all joy. I'm all ears and taking notes <laughs> for my impending entrance into this world. But oh, my gosh. Welcome, Sam. Well, thanks. I'm glad to be here. Um, how can you tell the difference between normal teenage behavior and the signs of something is not right. Because, you know, teens go into their room, they 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 hibernate, they stay there, they go to sleep, they're grumpy. How do we know that that's just normal or how, how can we distinguish the, between the two? Well, there's such a new normal, I think, with isolating in your room and hunkering down and wanting to stay on your phone or your devices 
and not relate much to your parents or your siblings. Right. And I think that's a very unhealthy pattern that's going on with teenagers, which is a result of advances in social media. Mm. Um, and so, you know, when kids, uh, when it starts affecting areas of their lives that are important, like school, mm-hmm. social activities, extracurricular activities, uh, responsibilities at home, uh, when it starts affecting those things, then and it and that lasts for a bit. It's not just a temporary crisis. Right. Then those are things to get concerned about. Right. Um, apathy is one of the things I'm really seeing in a lot of teenagers right now. That they don't care about school. They don't want to work a part time job. Uh, they don't want to leave the house and go make an effort to be social. Mm. They, they just want to hunker in their rooms, maybe play video games. Uh, their social lives are more like, oh, I've got friends. They're all online friends they play games with. Okay, gotcha. Or they've got friends they've never actually touched. Wow. Okay, okay. And those are things to be concerned about. Huh. K- kids aren't developing the social skills they need that's true. to function healthily in the world today. Yeah, that's true. That's true. That's, that's tough. It sounds like me, though. <laughs> I don't want to go out. I don't want to socialize. But I've done it. I have done it. I've done it before, you know, when I was younger. But now as I get older, I'm like, if it's something I got to do after 8 o'clock, I don't want to do it. Because <laughs> well, you're recuperating, right, yeah, for the next day. Yeah. Well, honestly, this isn't just about teenagers. A lot of adults are struggling with some of the same things. We get stuck on rather being on our devices than actually talking with our kids because uh-huh. it's easier. Yeah, it is. And we we let our kids entertain themselves with their devices. Mm. And, um, you know, I remember seeing a cartoon of uh, a bunch of moms at a park, and they're all on their phones, and their toddlers are all at their knees saying, Mama, Mama. (laughs) They're all looking at their phones, and it just kind of seems that way. Oh, wow. I mean, I have to watch it myself when I go home. It, it's addictive to sit and just uh, scan and and look at different things on, on the computer. Yeah. Yeah, we I, have a rule: no phones at the dinner table. Like that's parents included. Best, I ta- I take best rule ever. Yeah, I take call. So I, ha- I mean, they know that. Like I, like I can't put it in another room. Like there are times where I have to be able to be answer the phone. But no, they were like, no one, like no one is on the phone. We have to sit down and look at each other for at least twenty to thirty minutes a day. <laughs> Everyone stays until my four year old finishes eating, which is usually. 30, 45 minutes. Uh-huh. So, wow. But great it, great but, rules. I would add in mandatory conversation. Yes. Mm. Not just, I'm fine. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But sometimes mm-hmm. I think drawing out those conversations can be a little hard, <laughs> especially um, if, like with a teenager, right? Because like it, it's like we were talking about, like it's normal for them to be private and to kind of start to look to their friends for more guidance than their parents. Like mm-hmm. that's normal. So they're going to pull back a little bit from the parents, but I think we have to find ways to engage them. Do you have any tips on how to like draw the turtle out of their shell? Well, one is to be open about yourself. Maybe talk about relationships that you're in, especially at work. Maybe a struggle that you've had Mm. and do some problem solving. You're modeling for them Mm. what you're hoping that they'll learn how to do, and you're allowing yourself to be vulnerable. Mm. And and kids don't like being vulnerable, mm-hmm. uh, but it needs to be a safe place to be vulnerable and that you're not judged for what you're talking about or what's going on. And when kids start talking about, uh, if they will talk about issues and things, we're not here to fix them. We're here to listen to them and understand them and let them know we hear them. Mm-hmm. Kids can figure out most of their own problems. But you're a psychologist expert. 
and so you have all the answers. So why don't you just like give like so whenever your kiddos came to you, and the the answer's obvious, why didn't you just give it to them? Well, sometimes I did. <laughs> I strongly suggest. And, and the, the response I got was, "Daddy, don't use that counseling voice on me." <laughs> so when I go home. I'm a dad just like everybody else. That psychologist hat I wear is really out the window. Really? Um, yeah, it doesn't work with your own kids because they know who you are. <laughs> Mine oldest told me, um, I thought you were a therapist and would solve all of my problems. I was like, that's not my job. You know? <laughs> exactly. I don't solve the problems. Yes, that's right. And then my wife would say, why can't you fix this? This is what you do for a living. You tell families how to handle this. Oh, my and, gosh. And that's a lot of pressure. It is. <laughs> and, and when it's your own kids, it is different. It is different. Mm-hmm. But yes, but if you ask them questions, you kind of can teach them ways to figure out their own problems. You know, I have a... Um, a box of cards that I got online one time when I had a bunch of girlfriends over. And you pull out the card and it has something yes. that you have to discuss. I bet that's fun. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and maybe at the dinner table, because there are lots of versions mm-hmm. of it, but maybe at the dinner table when you're sitting here, here, pull this up. And they, have, they have it for age groups. Yeah. Like younger you know, like elementary. You just, hey, let's talk about this. What happens when blah, 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 whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And that starts the conversation. I know that sounds like pie in the sky, but. No. You know, it might, it might be something to do. I think it's helpful because I think parents want to engage their kids. And so they'll say, well, how was your day? Kid says, fine. And then everybody's kind of like looking, looking for down. the next thing. But you yeah. have to, I think you have to be creative if you and asking your questions to get kids to think outside the, I'm yeah. fine, this is what happened in my day, you and, know? And maybe everything doesn't have to be about them and what they do. It yeah. could be about them explaining something else or um, talking about current events or something at the dinner table that we can all talk through. In the counseling office, we actually use a board game called okay. the Talking, Feeling, Doing Game. Oh. And it's great because, uh, for one, you get to move around the board. It's a little competitive. Mm-hmm. And you have cards that relate to talking or mm-hmm. feeling or doing, and you have to answer the question. Oh. Any question is right. There's no right or wrong, right. but you have to in order to get a chip and move further. This is a game that's been around since the 1970s. It's a classic, mm-hmm. but it's a great conversation starter. And it surprises me sometimes when I get a 12 or 13-year-old who I think might feel a little old for the game. And they, they'll tell me how much they enjoy the game and they want to play it again. Oh, wow. Okay. So they want to get those feelings out. They want to talk about that they stuff. They do. And then you have to answer the same kind of questions. Oh. <laughs> Not just for the kids. Oh. Yep. You get to model. Mm-hmm. Oh, wow. So you, talk, you, you kind of touched on it. But social media, how do you think that this is really impacting the kids? Well, uh, I'm concerned that it's becoming a substitute for a social life. Mm -hmm. And that to me, when I ask a kid, do you have any friends? I have to say, I mean friends that you can reach out and put Mm -hmm. your hand on. Mm -hmm. Um, I had a young man tell me that he had a girlfriend and she had broken up with him and he was devastated and he had gotten really depressed about it. And he said, here, I'll show you a picture. Well, there was a picture of a beautiful woman that lived in Chicago whom he'd never met. And I don't know if this was an actual person or not, but he was emotionally connected to this person. Wow. And so it could have been catfishing. I don't know what it was. Mm -hmm. Um, But but it's 
it's just a terrible situation. I mean, I want I want them to be in the same room and mm-hmm. talk like normal people. That's how you develop social skills. People can put all kind of fronts, typing things in and 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 talking uh, online. It's not reality. They're mm-hmm. they're projecting things, good or bad, that they want to. And I just think that's a real hindrance in today's young people because they don't have a sense on reality. I think that they're, I think teenagers and kids are worse at detecting, okay, this picture was cropped. This picture was photoshopped. This mm-hmm. is a cleverly curated, you know, social media feed. And, you know, they don't, they don't pick up on that. They don't know. They think right. this is normal. They think this is the expectation. This is a standard. And like we all know, filters, cropping, all the things, you know. Yeah. Occasion- they, occasionally I'll see online a famous actress who'll do a, a, a selfie with no makeup and I'm thinking, I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Let's show the flaws. I'm thinking, mm-hmm. that's a beautiful woman. But when I see her without makeup, she looks just like everybody, everybody else. else. Yeah. yeah. The kids, I don't think they realize it. No. no they don't the, know. It, the images are unrealistic. That's true. And there are studies about how um, teenage girls, when they scroll through social media, their mood drops. It's like, I think, was it 20, 30 minutes? I need to look up the study again. But I mean, like like they measured mood before, let them scroll on social media and it, the mood drops yeah. because they're comparing themselves to things that aren't to, realistic. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and it, you know, it wouldn't be such a bad idea to try to figure out how we can disconnect yeah. from social media, it, even if it were. And, and I'm speaking to myself because I'm notorious on TikTok. I... <laughs> I'm not on it, but I see it and I watch it and I'm, I'm, I am fascinated one by it. And I find myself scrolling and two hours have gone by. Mm-hmm. And so I have said to myself, okay, self, we need to disconnect from this for a little while because mm-hmm. this is starting to get bad. It's, and, and I'm not influenced. I'm just fascinated. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm not influenced, but I am fascinated by the filters and and the stupid things that people I know they're do. really funny videos. I know, and and it's just like my gosh, there is some joy there. It, it makes me laugh. <laughs> it makes me laugh. But it also says to me, you need you need to step back a little bit and and go do something. Go take a walk. Go. You know, I don't want to sit on the patio because then I want to get my phone and you know, mm-hmm. start going. But I need to do an activity, something other than just going through. And so maybe, you know, having, you know, kids just, can we just back up for an hour? Can yeah. we take an hour where we're not looking at it? Just like you do at the dinner table. But I think, you know, if we can figure out a way how to disconnect. And and I think I saw I saw something on, on TV about um, trying to disconnect three times a week, you know, three days out of a week. Can you do that? Can you do that? Like, but there are teenagers who will fight that tooth and nail. Yes. They, they don't want to walk to the park without their phone for fear of missing out. Yes. If somebody texts them and they don't respond. Yes. Uh, I've had kids say, nobody's responding to me anymore. They've shut me out. Because they weren't available when they were having earlier conversations. Are you kidding? And so it's really scary for them. They're they're feeling left out. Mm-hmm. That's <sighs> like the only way they connect oh is on group gosh. text. And that's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. It's a mess. It is a mess. So we know our teens are struggling. Mm-hmm. What about family therapy? Do you think is so helpful for teens? Well, I like the title family therapy. This mm-hmm. isn't teenage therapy. 
because when a teen's struggling, oftentimes other family members are struggling. Uh, if a teen's really acting out, then a parent's doing everything they can to yeah. try to lessen that. Yeah. But they're usually doing a lot of wrong things. Mm-hmm. Uh, being um, angry, being judgmental, um, being punitive, uh, setting down the law exactly how it's going to be mm-hmm. is just a turnoff to your kids, and they're just going to isolate and ignore and try and tell you what you want to hear. What's really important is that you start off by learning to be a good listener. And listening is all about um, not trying to fix a problem, just hearing what your child has to say, uh, reflecting back to them what you're hearing, staying calm, mm-hmm. using a good tone of voice, a good body language, and being accepting. Gosh, um, so hard. It, I mean, you know, you've got a teenager who's acting out at school. They've been caught, you know. They've been in the bathroom. Thank you. Sure. That's this is this is that thank every you every day. You know, and you're like <laughs> you know better than this. I didn't raise you like that. I di- this is not what we do. You know, how do you now, Johnny? Help well, me understand what is it about vaping that you enjoy? <laughs> Actually, those are the right questions, but not with the sarcasm. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Real tone. Be, yeah. You have to be yeah. authentic with, yeah, with teenagers you do. You do. or they will call it out in a second and you will get no traction. Like you have to be real. Well, tell them. me, why do you vape? Why, why you is go. it important? What's going on? What's going on exactly. with that? What are you getting out of it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Are you feeling peer pressure to do it? Are mm-hmm. you only doing it with a certain group of people? Are you only doing it at a certain time of day? Is it a response to a stressor that's going on? You've got a class that you don't like. You're way behind. Uh, you've got all these assignments. Well, you want to go in the bathroom and you want to chill out and you want to feel better, so you vape. Wow. Or you smoke pot. Okay, yeah. And so a lot of kids are self-medicating their stress. They're not learning coping skills to deal with things. They're jumping to th- get things to fix them. Mm-hmm. And those things just cause so many more problems for them that they ever started with. But then you start at hundred and you're like, I've done everything I know to do for you. I give, I give, I buy, I, we're doing, we're, we're going here. We're doing all the things that we should be doing. And you're, I, this is exasperating. It to mm-hmm. me is really tough. And it's, you know, I hear what you're saying about calm down, ask the right questions, but my head is just not there. It is, it is, I want to take your head right off. <laughs> <You know? laughs> we, we use the term personal timeout. Mm-hmm. And when the parents' emotions are high mm-hmm. and they can recognize that, they need to say, you know, this is a really important conversation, but I'm feeling too angry right now. I'm going to go to my room and I'm going to calm down. Mm-hmm. And maybe in 20 or 30 minutes, let's try to come back and have this conversation. Mm-hmm. And you want to teach the same thing to your child when their emotions are up mm-hmm. and nothing positive is going to happen when the feelings are too high. Yeah. And get them to go and calm down. Sometimes you want a kid to go in their room and you say, go to your room and they're not going. Mm. That's Okay. Remove yourself. Yeah. Go to your room. Mm-hmm. All you need is separation and a chance to calm down and then come back and try again. Mm. That's a really important skill. Mm. It's hard when you're so frustrated, but I think it is really important to recognize. It's managing yourself. I think, I think it's also important to know that part of being a teenager, we talked about kind of normal development, is to mess up, right? They, 
they're testing the limits. This is the first time they've been in high school where their friends have available vapes that they bought on Amazon or they have Xanax or they think is Xanax oh, available on Snapchat. Oh, you know, like yeah. they, they're presented with the adult world and every possibility that goes with it. And they, mm-hmm. they're, they don't know how to manage it. They mm-hmm. really don't know. And they're going to mess up. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's part of being a teenager. And it doesn't mean they're a bad kid. It just means they're growing up. You know, they're going to make mistakes. And so it's like, how do you... How do you use this to help them not do it again and not start down that path? Like, how do we, how do we use this? Yeah. I mean, this is just, this is about everybody in the room. It's just like you said, it's the, it's family. It Mm -hmm. is, it's not only this child is doing what they want to do, but you've got to manage yourself. You got to manage you, which is. Well, it may be that, that mom's having a bottle of wine every night. Trust me. Dad's coming home and having a couple of, of stiff drinks to unwind. I'm telling you. And what's the kid going to learn? I yeah. need something to unwind yeah. with. Yeah. And what's readily available, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. vape, and then they get CBD oil in vapes. Like mm-hmm. those sort, those things are incredibly easy for kids to get. Really? Yes. Like so easy. They order it online. Yes. So how do you have any tips for helping that communication? Because I think... Whenever, so whenever I recommend counseling to families, I think for a long time, I guess the way I was recommending it, parents would take it as offense. Like I was saying that they were doing something wrong. I've come around to say, that's not it. I, you know, I, parenting is hard. We all need help. And I think it's re- the whole point of therapy is to get people talking. And it's not about judgment and it's not about support, but it's figuring out how to get people communicating and that's that's it and that has helped parents be more open sure. to counseling because sure. i think a lot of times they feel like a failure if they have to take their kid to counseling which i don't quite understand but. yeah we do and some of that's just long long generational history of being against counseling mm-hmm. i mean you know my parents were raised in the great depression and you just picked yourself up by your bootstraps yeah um yeah but but a lot of times um, when I get parents and kids in a room and they're conversing, I play referee. Mm. I, I'll stop them in mid-sentence and say, I want you to say this in a different way. Mm-hmm. And I'll stop the kid and I'll say, that tone of voice is just really making me feel defensive. And I bet it's making your parents feel defensive. What if you took that down a couple of notches and genuinely tell them what you really feel Mm. so that they can hear you. Mm. When you raise your voice, our ears shut. Mm -hmm. We feel attacked. Mm. And so some of the just simple communication skills can really go a long way. Mm. And being non-judgmental of parents as well, Mm -hmm. um, they may not have had good parents teach them how to do this. They're struggling with some of their own stuff. But these skills can be just as helpful to them as it can be to their kids. Mm. And it's hard being a parent. <laughs> we talk about it all the time. Why, like it's why are we so, so hard. hard? And, and and we jump at it. We want to have kids. We want to let's hurry up and have kids. <laughs> <laughs> it's a that's that's it's a biological. Crack. We we have to or we would never have any. <laughs> like oh my gosh, but it's this is but it is difficult. It's and every stage is difficult in and of itself. One hundred. It is. Percent. It Even is. Even when you have adult children, it can I, be hard. I have an adult son, and let me just help you understand. It's still is not easy, mm-hmm. you know, trying to help an adult be a better adult. Mm-hmm. It's really hard. It is. And you're like, sweetheart. 
<laughs> no. <laughs> I've been down the road that you're going. I understand. And he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but okay. And then somebody else will tell him the same thing. And then it now it's now it's like that was the best idea ever. But sweetheart, I told you that two weeks ago. <laughs> you know? But, but parents tell us that all the time. They're mm-hmm. like, will you please tell him mm-hmm. why it's so important to go to sleep i'm like yes you know and they're like it just helps i mean i don't really actually know that they listen to anything i say because they come back with the same problem every month but like you know i try my best but a, a lot of times parents tell us that you know we can lecture them and tell them all the right things but they don't hear that yeah, yeah. you got you have to tailor your argument for the kid and their development right so like if you've got a seven-year-old boy who's not sleeping and like just doesn't see the point and is like rolling around. I mean, that's probably just development or whatever. But, you know, you tell them, hey, you really need to sleep because that's whenever you grow and mm-hmm. that's when you get taller. Right. For like a really studious kid, hey, that's whenever your memory consolidates into long-term memory. So if you want to do well on your test, you really got to get good sleep that night. Mm-hmm. You, you kind of have to like tailor your... Yeah, your argument for the for the thing. For the kiddo yeah. to be a little more persuasive. But I still don't think they listen to me. No, so, no. Yeah. No, you're not alone, parents. <laughs> oh, well, this has been fascinating. Have we, um, where are we when it comes to counseling? Do we have enough, do we have enough providers, people who are doing it? I know the answer to this. I'm asking, though. Yeah, I'm vigorously yeah. shaking my head now. You know, even especially during the pandemic, we had a lot of counselors figure out they could do virtual counseling uh-huh. at home uh-huh. and not have to deal with a lot of the structure that we deal with. Uh-huh. And uh, there's been a shortage. And then the waiting lists uh, have long. been longer and longer and longer. And we could double our staff in outpatient psychology and still be in the same spot of how long it would take to get kids in. It, it's really impossible. Mm, um, mm, we mm. try to work through the waiting list as best we can. And we'd prioritize some of the more difficult cases to try to get them early, uh, get them in earlier. Right. Uh, but you don't always know which the difficult case is. Right. Mm-hmm. Some, sometimes the intake that comes in with the information looks, oh, this is run of the mill. And they come in and they start unloading these things they hadn't revealed. And then mm-hmm. sometimes you get a case, you're thinking, oh, man, I don't want this case. This is going to be so hard. <laughs> and you come in, and they're engaging, and they're ready to work, and they're rewarding. Okay. So you kind of have to be open-minded with what comes through the door. Yeah. You never know. You just never know. Or a kiddo that you've seen for a long time does pretty well, and then they hit a <laughs> really bad spot. That That's always very hard for me because you have this very long relationship with a kiddo, mm-hmm. and then to see them do well and struggle. It's Mm -hmm. very hard. Mm -hmm. It's heartbreaking. I had a kid that I saw uh, as a teenager on the inpatient unit, you know, 25 or six years ago. And he was depressed and having psychotic features. Mm. And I thought uh, the kid really had some mind things going on getting in the way. Mm -hmm. Um, And as we were discharging him, he'd gotten a little more stable. Uh, He said, I want to be a counselor like you. My first thought was, I'll never refer anybody to you. <laughs> I mean, he was having psychotic features. Oh. Like maybe like hearing voices or like not like struggling with di- differentiating reality. And really, five years ago, I ran into him at another counseling agency, a, a government agency. Uh-huh, uh-huh. He was married, had three kids. He was an LPC. He supervised 25 therapists. And he is, he looked, you looked in his eyes and he was all there. 
That's awesome. And it's like we rarely get to see the outcome. It's very that true. That it warmed my heart. Wow. That the effort I put into that child, uh-huh. and others must have too, yeah. mm-hmm. that it turned out so well. So it gives me hope. Yeah. That um, sometimes we're just planting seeds. Yes. And sometimes those kids really are listening. They may not be ready to apply what we're teaching, but they might be at another time. Yeah. And and that's why it's so important for, you know, I guess the parent to get in when they can. So, you know, before something really does explode and it's, you know, now I'm really desperate to try to get in. But when do you know? I mean, when do you know it's time to actually pull the trigger and say, Let, let's take Johnny in? You may not exactly know. You may not. I would rather you err on bringing them in, letting somebody do a good evaluation Mm -hmm. and saying, I think this is something we need to continue with. Mm -hmm. And sometimes those things might take four or five sessions. Yeah. And that it's not that serious, but you can help get them on track. Mm. Uh, Rarely, there's been times when I've had a parent insisting their kid get counseling when I think, I don't really think they need it. Mm-hmm. And part of that's because I'm comparing with them with all the ones that are in the counseling that are so much worse off. Yeah. yeah. Um, and sometimes I have to convince parents that the kids are really doing okay. And uh, and it's more of the parents' anxiety and their worry about what's going to happen with their kids. So it's right. more about what's going on with the parent. Yeah. But I'd rather them err on trying to get their kids in and let somebody talk with them and evaluate them. Okay. And I would say because we know how long the waits are. Get them in. Early. Call mm. early, mm-hmm. like call your insurance company, go see your pediatrician and like the, the kind of whenever you start to get, you know, like those tickles in the back of your yeah. brain, like yeah. eh, something's not right. going up. Yeah. It's like, okay, fine. I, I think what happens is that as parents, we don't want our kids to struggle. And so we keep hoping, okay, this is going to resolve. This is a phase. It's going to get better. But I think in that it, it's longer and longer and longer until they get on the wait list. And in the meantime, they could be deteriorating. So it's better to have, like you can have a spot and not use it or you can cancel it mm-hmm. as opposed to like things getting worse, 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 worse. And, and then, then it's like the emergency and yeah, now yeah, we can't yeah, find yeah. what we need. So right, it's right. call, get, yes, just get early. It. Do it early, please. <laughs> Unfortunately, I, I wish that it were not the case. Yeah. I, I wish that if a kid was having a hard time when the parents were concerned, we could see them within 10 days. That would be... I wish to. I had a football coach in college tell the team, fellas, um, don't come to me when you've already drowned. (laughs) (laughs) Come to me when you're still treading water. Okay. He was from South Louisiana. Yes, I recognize that. (laughs) But that was a good message. Don't come to me when you're drowned. Yep. Yep. Don't do it. Yeah. Wow. Well, and two, because then patterns get started, right? Mm-hmm. And then it's harder to dig yourself out or undrown yourself, I guess, <laughs> for the analogy, you know. Like, Undrowning. Yeah. It's a lot harder. Oh, my gosh. What do you – so I think also part of um, part of adolescent teenage development is, like, figuring out who they are. Um, that's a huge part of it. I think whenever I was in high school – it was, am I going to be a jock or a goth or in the band? Like all those silly things, right? But there's, I feel like there's more complexity to it now because kids are aware of like different sexual orientations or gender identity. And so have you, um, do you have any ideas on how to support kids who are just kind of trying to figure out who they are? Well, I think it is a lot more complex and complicated than it was 
you know, when I was their age. I wasn't even aware of a lot of the gender kind of things going on. I wasn't either. Um, I, I suggest that, first of all, that you listen to your children genuinely and you try to understand yeah. and you don't blow off what they're having to say. Uh, I do think sometimes their exploration is a popular thing in that they're getting caught up in what's going on with their friends. Right. Um, but I wouldn't discount any of that. I would ask them to be patient in trying to figure it out and that you'll be along the path with them, helping them, mm -hmm. and that to give it some time. And a lot of them find their way. Uh, some of them really need some significant help in making some changes mm -hmm. uh, with their gender and such. But I think a good part of them are really just exploring and trying to figure out. Um, and, and the last thing to do is to take them uh, as not being serious and mm -hmm. that it's not important, and you need to get with the program. That's the, that's not the right thing to do. Help them figure it out for themselves. Mm -hmm. Give them opportunities to do that. Because mm -hmm. if you tell program. a teenager, you don't know what you're talking about. You're too young to know what do you like. That's crazy. Like they will dig in their heels. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like yeah. they will do it just to spite you. Exactly. So just, if you're like, okay, cool, thanks for sharing, and so, like I'll help you, and then just kind of let it go. Yeah. Like. And since that's normal development to want to discover yourself, there's just so many other things you can discover mm. than we could a few generations back. Because mm -hmm. we just did. I mean, I I agree. I I didn't know that right. this was part of it. You know, wasn't yeah. thing. It wasn't like something you thought about or considered, right? Yeah, I know it's terrible, but you know, I, I think some of the smartest things my mother did was it you know, let me do what I was going to do and not give me a lot of grief. Because back in the day, you know. My, people smoked. Everybody was smoking. Everybody was smoking. It was so sexy to smoke. And, you know, and so when I, you know, got of a certain age, I wanted to smoke and I smoked in front of her and she never said anything. <laughs> she that would be say, very hard for me. <laughs> you know, but, but I was around other people. They were smoking. So I smoked and I, you know, oh, I, see, I lit I see, up I and, and okay. you know, and we're just, um, <sighs> she never said a word. She never said anything. She never said what are you doing? That looks stupid. And you stupid. gave it up? And I did. Mm -hmm. I, it, she it, allowed it you to figure it out. Yeah, it, it lost its fascination. It really did. It really did. <laughs> it wasn't rebellious. No, it, and, you know, and she didn't say anything. And I did it a couple of times after that, and she never said anything. And I was like, okay, well, maybe it's not that big a deal, so I don't need to do it. I don't know why, but it was just, okay, don't say nothing. Yeah. Well. And I don't, I don't think we're advocating for like, no, no, like no. limitless parenting right, or, right, right. No, not or, at all. But it, in our, like having open, I hope that's not like what people no, are leaving No, and I think, with. I think so, but you choose your battles. Sometimes 100%. you have to choose your battle. Mm -hmm. Just some things are just not worth fighting right now. Well, you, you know, smoking a cigarette's one thing, smoking marijuana is another taking some kind of pills that could be yeah. laced with who knows what. Yeah. You know, yeah. There's lots of different levels of risk that they could be taking. Yeah. And, of course, the alcohol and the binge drinking and the situations they can put themselves in that are very dangerous. Mm -hmm. um, and, and so we're going to respond a little bit differently depending on the seriousness of what's going on. Okay. So if you found out your teenager got in the car with someone who was drunk and driving, mm. like, so that's pretty high risk, what... Mm -hmm. How does that conversation go? Um, what were they thinking when they got in the car? How much did they know the person and did they trust them? 
uh, do they actually understand what the risks are? What are the statistics of things that happen? Mm-hmm. You know, throw out some realities there. Mm-hmm. Not to scare them, but to get them to think about it. Mm-hmm. Because you want them to come to their own conclusion that mm-hmm. that wasn't really a safe thing to do. I remember when I was a sophomore in high school, and uh, a friend of a friend had gotten a new Nova. Oh, I remember the Nova. <laughs> this was 1974. I remember the Nova. And, wow. And six of us piled in it at lunchtime to go off campus, which we were not, not allowed to do. Not supposed to do. Yeah. He's fishtailing through neighborhoods, and I'm in the back seat thinking, I wish I wasn't in this car. It I felt know. safe. I could see us ramming into somebody's yeah, car. Yeah. And when I got back to campus, I thought, I'm never getting in a car with him again. But I learned that for myself. Yeah. Um, so, so those are good lessons to learn. I don't want kids to get in those cars, but help them think through that. And the kid may make a good decision on their own. That's not the right thing to do. Yet when, when they're habitually making the same mistakes and you're figuring out that their use of certain substances isn't just experimental, that, that they're really relying on them. Um, then it's much more serious and more intervention is necessary. Again, I, I may have said something earlier, but um, they may be trying to cope with things that are bigger than them and they don't know how to cope with. Mm-hmm. It may be stressors of school or peer pressure or boyfriends and girlfriends, and, and they don't have the coping skills to deal with that, mm-hmm. and they reach for something to fix it. Mm-hmm. And it never fixes it. It just makes it worse. Yeah. But it, it feels, I mean, like, you know, the um, like alcohol acts on the same receptors that we use for some of our more powerful anxiety medicines, mm-hmm. marijuana is on the cannabinoid receptor, nicotine in the vapes is on your, you know, or on those receptors. And so they produce calm and dopamine in your brain. I mean, mm-hmm. so they're mm-hmm. getting a fast fix, but mm-hmm. I mean, long-term, you're right. It doesn't help at all. Mm-hmm. And kids aren't thinking long-term. Yeah. <laughs> Do you, and so if, so if the kiddo going back, like, so they're doing something dangerous, like, are there, then is there a conversation about like limits, consequences, those sorts of things? Like after we kind of figure out like what's going on, helping the kid come to the conclusion, hey, like we don't really want to go down this path. Like are there things parents should do? There are. Uh, and it depends on the kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you've got some immature kids that uh, aren't really going to follow any kind of healthy direction and trying to figure those things out. And you've got to set limits. Uh, sometimes you've got to check on which friends they're wanting to go out with, knowing that that's not safe and and setting limits on that, mm-hmm. uh, setting curfews and enforcing those curfews. Uh, so many parents will set a curfew and a kid comes in late. They don't do anything about it. Mm. So the kid learns they can there stay no out however they want yeah. to. Yeah. Parents, some parents feel guilty because, you know what, they experimented with drugs when they were teenagers and they're thinking, oh, that's just normal and maybe they turned out okay. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a lot riskier today with mm-hmm. the fentanyl crisis and things going on. It's it true. It can be deadly. It can be. And so I'm all for setting limits. Mm-hmm. Uh, negotiating limits helps, getting their input and, and try to convince them what might be best. I think the thing that bothers me more than anything, it's not so much the behaviors that we're talking about, but the lying. When you're lying to me and you're saying you're not doing and you're saying it and and I have proof, I have receipts, as the kids say. (laughs) (laughs) When he's coming in with the receipts. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. That that is what really kind of 
you know, stands the hair on the back of my neck um, is when you're not telling me the truth. I, I, Alex Murdoch, I don't like that. When you don't have trust, yeah, you don't have much of anything. Yeah. You've That's got to hard. figure out how to repair that trust. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I, but in young, I, a lot of parents get really upset about lying. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking about like particularly like for young parents and mm-hmm. and kids and things, and they're like it just burns the parents up. I mean, <laughs> like they're like I asked him if he brushed his teeth, and he told me yes, and I and I went in there, and I know he didn't because I smelled his. I was like, okay, just. <laughs> Do not. I mean, they are work. I know. Uh, I know. Okay. That's I'm a like, normal behavioral yes. level. Yes. Lying. Yes. That's what I, yes. Okay. It, your kid is not a sociopath. Okay. We should do a whole podcast on lying. Oh, we should. We need to do a podcast because on lying. Because seriously. Because there, 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 are, there are levels to it, right? Like, just my advice for the younger ones, don't give the kids an opportunity to lie. Don't ask them if they brush your teeth or not. Go in there and feel if the brush is wet. And if it's wet, then you, or if it's not wet, then you say, hey, get in here and do it. Like, just don't give them the opportunity. But, you know, whenever it's your 20-year-old or, like, your adult, it's different because you're like, you violated my trust. Uh So how are we supposed to move on? Okay. Lying. That's the next Boom. Taking notes. (laughs) (laughs) Sam, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for um, coming in and sharing your wisdom. Um, I... For our audience, I talk to Sam every week about <laughs> <laughs> lots of things, um, and I just really appreciate your um, your support and your expertise and your calm demeanor because it helps take me off the ledge a lot, mm-hmm. and I really appreciate that. Yeah. But he he does the same thing for me too. Okay. He gives me the space to like say all the things I need to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's great. Like a very, very, very helpful yeah. resource. Well, very it's good. great to be part of a team. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially to have psychiatrists right next door to be able to consult on what's going on and not feeling like you're having to hold the whole family up by yourself. Yeah. Makes all the difference in the world. Yeah. Totally agree. Very good. So we have a tradition where we talk about what we're grateful for. And so I'll go first because it's pig's back. Piggy, oh, did you want to go? No, no, go. Oh, okay. Um, I am grateful for our psychology team. Like the all of our psychologists, um, I just... Yeah, it's just so rare to find such a collegial, supportive team. And like you were saying, to be able to know um, that whenever one of my kids is seeing one of our psychologists, I know they're in great hands. And I would take my child to any one of you guys. And so I, yeah, I just am so grateful for your expertise, your kindness, your dedication to our community. Like, thank you for doing the hard work. Good. Okay, I'll go next. (laughs) And I mean this with every fiber of my being. I am grateful I do not have a teenager. (laughs) I am so grateful. Because seriously, now is a tough time. Now is a tough time. And, you know, parenting a teenager at any time has been challenging. But I I can't even fathom. I can't imagine having to, to navigate waters with a teenager now. It would, I don't know. I would be drinking the two bottles of wine. (laughs) (laughs) The game has changed. Yeah, it has. It has. So I'm grateful that I don't have a teenager. Well, I'm going to go off script a little bit. I'm grateful that I have my grandchildren in my life. This is more about self-care. Yeah. When I can go visit, I've I've got three under six. They're only about an hour away. 
Uh, my wife says, when I see you with the grandchildren, I never see your face brighter and happier. Aww. And it's just a stage of life that's wonderful. I can go and play. They say, Papa, will you play with me? And I say, you bet. Let's sit down and play. Because there'll come a time when they're not going to want to do that anymore. And That's it's true. just such a wonderful phase of life. Aww. It's kind of the war- rewards of putting up with your own kids. <laughs> That's awesome. It is. It is. It is. And we love our children. Yeah. They're the best. And we, also the worst. But you just love kidding. your grandkids more. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Oh, my gosh. Thank you for listening to this episode of Raising Joy. Until next time, just breathe. Open up. You You matter. matter.